We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Picking the Dynasty Startup first round also with a look back at the first round from last year that's what we're going to be talking about today on stealing bananas i'm ben gretch you can find my twitter at yards per gretch find my newsletter at bengretch.substack.com with me as always is sean siegel you can find all his work at rotaviz you had a really fun idea for today that we would look back at the dynasty draft that longtime listeners anyone who's listened since last summer know we did a dynasty draft we discussed it on the show we've talked a lot about the trades and, and the ways that our first year unfolded but you you had this idea to look back at the first round from last year look at the types of players that held their value or gained value and then also talk about what the first round would look like right now and how we would maybe do it a little bit differently or look at things a little bit differently yeah, it's uh, we're into the off season. Maybe the most fun time of year. It's it's dynasty season. It's best ball season, but then it's also on the fantasy season. And you were mentioning there has been just an outpouring of interest in that format. And you're considering making it into uh, kind of a big tournament. Everybody in there together as one possibility for 2022. So. If you're an Omni Fantasy fan or you're interested in that, you want to be in the big tournament, then let Ben know so he can make sure he does this big tournament idea. The early responses have been pretty overwhelming. If he gets another burst of support slash interest here, then, I mean, Omni Fantasy may be off and running as, well, we won't say, but a cool contest. I won't make any comparisons, but we've got we've got some ideas here. Ben, is there any uh, little note you would like to make about Omni Fantasy? Something that you know, if, if someone is on the fence. I mean, I've mentioned it doesn't have cycling yet, and so I'm I'm still. But but what's the big draw here? You and I were debating, you know, which college basketball team you were going to take late, and so I, I think any time that that is a discussion then you're into a tournament that people are going to want to get involved in yeah i mean it's a fun thing that uh with some help from kevin's at lucal who's been who's done some work at rotaviz before and some people might know uh around the fantasy industry we built a little site i've done this since about 2014 that for anyone who doesn't know what it is it's just a a fantasy draft 
where you pick teams, you're basically playing the futures market and you have a bunch of different sports. So you pick an NBA team, you pick a college basketball team, you pick a MLB team, NFL team, tons of different sports. And you get points when your teams win championships. It's draft only. You know, it takes a little bit of effort to to think through which sports you want to pick and which rounds. Um, so there's sort of like a, in terms of like being good at it, there's sort of a structural thing, which obviously listeners to this show know a lot about structural drafting and those types of things. So you, you do want to think a little bit about, you know, which sports are more predictable and less predictable. But other than that, it's mostly just a fun thing that you do. You draft, you have a now a rooting interest in all of these different sports. And so it's just kind of in the background. Like I said, draft only, slow draft, takes about a week or two weeks to do the draft. And then for the next calendar year until next year's Super Bowl is when it ends, you're getting points for the, you know your team's winning championships or finishing in the top eight in their sport. Yeah, it's a it's a fun concept. I, like I said, I've done it for I've done it since 2014 is when I first heard about it and played it. We actually like made a site for it in 2020, and then that was the worst year to do it because of the pandemic and so many you know multiple sports getting canceled, like college basketball. But we did it again last year. It's been kind of growing. People are are joining. It's free to play. It's not a big deal to to join it if you are interested in this kind of thing. But yeah, you can reach out to me on Twitter or send me an email or whatever and. Uh, I'd be happy to help you get into a league, but that is, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, I think it's fun. I think it's a really fun thing to have in the background as far as like a pitch or a, re- a reason to play. It's like a, it's a, one of my favorite fantasy things because it just is draft only and sits in the background all year and, and you don't have to do any effort beyond the draft and you don't have to know a ton about sports to be able to pick teams, even in the sports that you don't know. So that's sort of the elevator pitch of it. If anybody sounds interested or whatever i'm uh we basically just made this site so people could play if they wanted to for other degenerates and uh there's a lot of them we're we're learning that there's a lot of them (laughs) but sean the first round of our dynasty draft last year this is a super flex tight end premium league it's the awesome rotaviz triflex leagues over at ffpc we traded out we didn't take a pick until the back half of the fourth round because we just kept trading back. But the first round included seven quarterbacks. It included uh, two running backs, two receivers, and a tight end. The quarterbacks that stand out to me really are Trevor Lawrence went fourth overall. Doesn't look fantastic right now, obviously. Dak Prescott went fifth. Justin Herbert went seventh, which were both, I think, solid enough picks. But Lamar Jackson wound up going ninth. The top three were Mahomes, Allen, and Kyler. And I think Jackson was pretty good value there as the seventh quarterback, even though you know it was a ninth overall pick. And then you had Joe Burrow going at 201, which is also an interesting name. The the tight end in the first round was Kyle Pitts. And you had McCaffrey and Jonathan Taylor, as well as A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf as the only receivers. Jamar Chase, interestingly, who we talked about earlier this week, went 302 and I know you and I were at by that point discussing potentially trying to trade back up and take him for a while we were thinking he would be our our guy that would be our first draft pick because it was interesting to see him fall into the third round of a startup last year you were just talking to me before the show as we look to 2022 even in super flex if we can have a discussion about Jamar Chase at the 101 right so just so much to kind of go over and break down here one of the reasons why we like to go back and look obviously is that we want to catch any 
mistakes that we made. Now you're going to have some mistakes on player evaluation that come purely from injury or situations you had no control over but you do want to be aware of if you're making structural mistakes and if there are things that you can do differently overall that are going to have a big effect on how you play in the future and one of the things too that going back and look at these drafts can help you do is to maintain humility which for some people maybe isn't a problem for some people maybe it's the number one thing they need to address but if you can sort of decrease your confidence in any individual pick it will help you get more value because you can move into ranges where the value is and you're going to make less of those big mistakes because you overpay for someone that you thought was a sure thing that you thought maybe you had some special insight into and then you know that ends up derailing your team for the long term then you mentioned here that trevor lawrence goes at the 104 that one really jumped out to me i had some leagues last year where i was able to get lawrence early in the second round now this was a draft that happened pretty close to the start of the season so we were already into that time frame where jamar chase had that little bubble in his value because the early reports from training camp were not good we know that that was one of the most incorrect slash exploitable things that happened last year was when his value dipped for a little bit you and i drafted him in a bunch of redraft as a result for me justin jefferson who went at the 202 and chase who went at the 302 were the real big targets at wide receiver some other guys were like cd lamb goes to the 206 he obviously didn't have the season that we were looking for uh, i was surprised at some of these quarterbacks now justin herbert someone who had a very good rookie year i'm putting together my current qb tiers for best ball obviously he had a fantastic season this past year where both his passing volume and then he adds a little bit more as a rusher i think than maybe immediately jumps out if you're watching some of the games he's not one of these guys like a josh allen certainly not like a lamar jackson or a kyler murray and yet that extra rushing value within the context of what an elite passer he is it does put him into this group that's pretty rare he and joe burrow i think should have gone earlier and prescott and lawrence should have gone later now in all of these situations when we kind of look back it's impossible not to look back without knowing or without thinking about what actually did happen and so those are easy things to say now but the quarterback that you and i were really looking at was lamar jackson we had at one point the 108 i'm not 100 sure if that's after we had traded down once or if that was our first trade down but mccaffrey went at the 108 jackson went at the 109 but we really wanted jackson and i feel like if anything he has solidified his value and despite the injury We've now seen the Ravens also play as an aggressive passing attack. We know that he's a fantastic vertical thrower. He has so many ways to score fantasy points. And so I'll be really interested to see where Murray and Jackson go coming off of second halves that were ruined by injury. You know, Murray now has had back-to-back -back seasons where he had trouble staying healthy it's one of these kind of deals where a little bit like with derrick henry where everyone including myself is like well maybe he's going to be the guy who either through his physicality and size or just through good fortune which obviously maybe is the most important thing that you can have as a football player or as a fantasy football player is just be lucky right but go through multiple years staying healthy and as a result sort of thwart some of these concerns that people had josh allen maybe now a little bit in that area where we're wondering is like he's so big and so athletic that he's not going to get hurt with these rushing attempts but we saw some of the rushing qbs get hurt last season and move some of the value within that season to the passing qbs 
And so when I'm looking at the first round for this season, for me, again, it's going to be Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert, and Joe Burrow as the guys you have to target in the first round. Now, the interesting thing about this draft is that the Trevor Lawrence drafter was able to make a trade for Burrow as we went into the fantasy playoffs and went with either the fifth or the sixth seed, I think the sixth seed, and won the title. So uh, one of the things that we've talked about in the past as well, and I think an interesting topic for discussion here, is how some of these rookie QBs hold their value. Lawrence, from that point, I think lost quite a bit more value because he finished off the season extremely poorly. We know Trey Lance and Justin Fields didn't necessarily do the things people had hoped but they probably have maintained their values now better than Lawrence. Where are you on these quarterbacks in the first round? Sort of exempting the the chase conversation for a moment. Who do you like if you have a top five or six pick? Or are you trying to move up for anyone? Or are you comfortable with any of those QBs? Pretty comfortable with any of them. And I completely agree with the six that you named. I think the Dak Prescott discussion is a pretty interesting one that you kind of touched on him being sort of overdrafted at 105. One of the big points I try to drive home last offseason with him is everyone thinks of him as a rushing quarterback, and he's not. I mean, it's not that he's not, but he's not in in relation to the other guys that are. Uh, I, I think we think of Mahomes as not being one. And Mahomes and Prescott are pretty similar in terms of like their yardage running the ball. Like You just look at like yards per game. And not, neither of them is is really anywhere near the you know Josh Allen tier even, and then obviously not anywhere near like Lamar Jackson or what Kyler Murray can do as well. But but Jackson being the guy that obviously can have the thousand yard rushing seasons and things. I mean that, the the point I'm trying to drive home here is that there's sort of a scale, and one of the things with um, Dak is that I think he is viewed as being higher on that scale than he actually is for whatever reason, if you go look at his historic numbers, his yards per game, they look a lot like Mahomes. They look a lot like, I mean, Mahomes has had better seasons as a runner than, than Dak. I mean, Dak has had good touchdown numbers. The first three years of his career, he rushed for six TDs each season, but in 2019, he fell to three touchdowns in 2020. He was at three and in, in only five games, but so he showed that, rushing TD upside again this past year coming off the injury he's down to only one rushing TD and more importantly like uh, I was talking about the yards per game he only had one season over 20 yards per game rushing going into last year that was way back in 2017 in his second season it had been three straight years where he was sub 20 yards per game which is again this Mahomes range it's a you know Aaron Rodgers in his prime type of range these guys that give you a little bit with the legs that we think of as pocket passers that give you a little bit you know, maybe Andrew Luck is in that range or somebody. I'm just trying to think of guys that are similar. I haven't actually looked at all the numbers. But then coming off the injury, Dak, who had typically sat in this like 17 to, to 22 yards per game rushing range, was actually at nine yards per game last year. Makes sense. He was coming off the leg injury and everything. But also we see that guys tend to run less as they age. And he's going into his age 29 season now. I mean, he's, again, never been a guy who's averaged 30, 40, 50 rushing yards per game like some of these high-end guys can do, and that's a pretty big gap. I mean, in some cases, we're talking about him rushing for half as much yardage than some of the guys that he's somewhat viewed similarly to. 
so yeah, you're kind of looking at the pocket passer mold more than I think people realize. And that's a pretty big value difference as well as he gets into the later stages of his career. It is a huge difference there. And I was surprised at just how bad it actually was when I was putting together these QB tiers for 2022. You had mentioned him with alongside Patrick Mahomes. And over the last three seasons, he averages 2.7 rush EP per game. Mahomes at 2.1. And you're thinking, okay, well, part of that is influenced, obviously, coming off the injury. But in 2019, he was at 2.5. Right, so this is something where it's not just because of the injury. He has not been an impact rusher for a while. A guy that I was comparing him to and saying had a little bit of rushing upside is Burrow. And Burrow did see a very similar drop-off coming off the injury to Dak. It's so funny. Those guys, there's so many parallels. Go back to last offseason when we were talking about the receiving groups, the, the three receivers being similar and like ADP ranges and, and both the offenses being ones that we thought were going to be very pass heavy as a fantasy community. People were saying Cincinnati was Dallas North and, and stuff like that. They're, they're both very similar in terms of their mobility as well. I mean, Burrow as a rookie was at about 14 yards per game, not quite there with Dak's upside, but did have three rushing TDs in 10 games showed a little bit of that, you know, scoring potential, I guess. And, and QB rushing TDs, highly volatile stat, not something I would, bank on but this year he had two more rushing tds and his but his yards per game did dip down below 10 as well much like Dax. he's a little bit below Dak in terms of you know on this rushing quarterback scale but he offers some mobility especially if he's able to get back and get fully healthy this was a year where for the first half of the year he was still rehabbing much like Dak. but my my point being I don't think people view those two guys as similar in terms of mobility i think people talk about Dak as one of the rushing QBs alongside Lamar and Kyler and, and Josh Allen and those guys. And he's just not anywhere near those guys. He's again, closer to Mahomes, And so it's a question of, does he have the passing upside? And we we've thought that he maybe did. And we, we think that Burrow does going forward, but they're yeah. If you're, if you're at all questioning whether Dak belongs in that group, I think it, it comes down to what is their passing upside. And I think it's really easy at this point to say, Burroughs is probably higher. I feel a lot more comfortable with his receivers, especially being just a truly elite group that can elevate him as well. And then probably better about Burrow being the better quarterback as a passer and some of the things he's able to do in the pocket and that he did throughout the playoffs this year as well than Dak. And he's a lot younger. And so, you know, taking him in the in the first round and, and having Dak fall out as we sort of flip from last year's draft that we're looking at to this year's, I think makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned the relative ages there, very important. Prescott's Superflex ADP will be interesting to track. You mentioned feeling more comfortable with the Bengals wide receivers. And, and very clearly, I think that that is going to give him an advantage. We love CeeDee Lamb, and it sounds like uh, there is at least some sentiment that he will be more of a focal point next season. But you did also get maybe a, a sense that the Cowboys have not quite come around to the actual talent level that some of their players have now when you hear them talk about the team after the wild card loss. And you hear Jerry Jones talking about how Amari Cooper has to be better and has to command more defensive attention. It's like he's just not that player anymore. So you need to build your offense around CeeDee Lamb and you need to get the touches to him even if you have to manufacture some of those he's got to be the guy it, at the same time you have to give them some good credit and prescott some good credit for the fact that you know 
Elliott and Cooper are not the players that their ownership thinks. And yet the overall offense was very effective. And so Prescott deserves some credit there. I still don't think that he's actually a first round pick in 2022 startup. So then this is kind of how I'm looking at it. I think that Jamar Chase is actually in the mix at the 101. You have Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. Then I think that there is a little bit of a potential tier break there because we don't know about the health and on the Kyler Murray perspective, maybe we're now more uncertain about his long-term future in Arizona, you know, his work ethic some of those kinds of things, probably exaggerated, probably a non-story. But I think that that gives a small opening for other superstars, young superstars, to at least be in the mix, to be in the conversation. And that would be Justin Jefferson and Jonathan Taylor. Obviously, in Superflex, you need those quarterbacks. You need guys who have this elite upside. You need players you think are going to be in the NFL for a long time. That's one of the reasons why in Superflex, those guys go early it's not just that you have to start two qbs which dramatically changes everything but if you have a position that's now important which is what superflex does and you have players at that position who are going to play for 10 12 15 years then that's a big advantage over one of these elite quarter uh, running backs who you know even if he plays well may only have a peak that is two three four uh, in a you know perfect scenario six or seven we mentioned some guys who did score well in their late 20s but that path is narrower but when you look at jamar chase super young maybe the best wide receiver prospect ever you put that with the rookie campaign you put that with a young quarterback and then you look at some of the other options and you had mentioned the wide receivers who went at the tail end of the first round last season aj brown at the 110 dk metcalf at the 112 I don't think that those guys' values have plummeted. They certainly haven't cratered. And yet the value gap between Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and then your A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf here, I mean, it's absolutely massive, right? And we're talking about a guy who, you know, barring injury, which can also happen to a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen. We've seen, unfortunately, some quarterbacks have their careers cut short, and we've seen the potential for someone to walk away because they know the risk in terms of an Andrew Luck, right? And that's always a possibility, too. You look at Luck, you look at Calvin Johnson, you look at Barry Sanders, guys who did have some good years left even when they decided that they were done. So th there are some risks in terms of the overall window, but I'm looking at Jamar Chase here and thinking that the advantage that he is going to give his managers over the next six or seven years is probably going to be similar to the advantage these top quarterbacks give. Yeah. And we talked a lot about him last show and where we're at on him. I mean, he's a, he's going to be a phenomenal talent for a lot of years and it's going to be very exciting. I, you know, you, you mentioned before the show, this idea that he could be in the discussion for the one-on-one, even in super flex. I, I was thinking, you know, out loud a little bit to you that the, Obviously, there's more insulation, I think, with the value of a guy like a Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, especially longer. Uh, we can talk about A.J. Brown going into last year being the wide receiver one in this draft, having a little bit of an injury-plagued year. He's still very, very good, but now he's a year older. And now we're saying the next you know, superstar young receiver to come up is quite a bit ahead of him. And Brown has maybe fallen into this, you know, wide receiver three to wide receiver five range, depending, you know, 
how high you are now on Cooper Cup or, or Debo Samuel or those guys. And those are guys that I want to ask your opinion on as well. How high did they rise as well as, you know, Tyreek Hill and some of the other veteran superstars. But I agree with you that Chase is a little different. He was a, an incredible prospect. I mean, I'm not anyone who's ever going to say anything negative about AJ Brown, but it's just not the same discussion when you talk about what Jamar Chase was as a prospect. I mean, it's not that Brown was a bad prospect in any way, right? But just Jamar Chase was widely discussed as the best prospect since Amari Cooper. And then he goes out and has the first year that was everything you could possibly imagine in terms of viewing the rest of his career and the ceiling and all of those things. And one of the big things we talk about on the show all the time is this idea of having a little bit of a longer view than just what did the guy do in his first year in the NFL? Because so many people only look at what we've seen at the NFL level, look back at their college career as well. And with Chase now, we have enough of a sample um, stretching to what he did in college that this guy might be one of the best receivers ever. I mean, that's, it's just that he just might be that good. It's no certainty at all, but there's nothing in his profile that suggests that he can't accomplish that. And so that's uh, I'm right there with you. I think he deserves to be in that discussion even with a little bit more risk, if he has an injury plague season and all that, with all the other good receivers that are, that are always coming up in this league that, you know, he could potentially not be viewed. Like say Justin Jefferson has a great year next year. Chase has a little bit of an injury plague year. He's not going to be viewed as even the wide receiver one. And certainly in, in super flex, you know, two QB type startups next year, you're still going to have Mahomes and Allen near the top, but then it'll be a discussion of maybe Jefferson is in that tier. Maybe someone else is in that tier. And Chase, then, if he's not even the wide receiver one, probably not even in the discussion for the top five. If something like that were to happen, at the same time, even if that were to happen, I think you can just hold him. And and we feel confident enough that even if he had a sophomore slump, that year three would be something that you'd want to be in on. And he's going to continue to rebound that value and be very good. There's that combination of like what, how much value certainty does he have with the market, but also how much certainty do we have and how good he is it's hard not to be just completely over the moon on what Jamar Chase is and, and what he can bring as a player. So you mentioned those six quarterbacks that should go in the first round. You mentioned Taylor, Jefferson, Chase. That's nine guys. And I think that's a really good sort of top tier that dips into the running back market and, and pulls a couple of receivers in there. I think after that and towards, towards the very end of the first round, is really interesting. I mean, we have Kyle Pitts there. We have the rest of the receivers there. I do want to get your thoughts on whether Cooper Cup is in that discussion. Hey, this is Dave Cabin from the Rotoviz flagship podcast. I wanted to let you know that the podcast you are listening to right now is sponsored by BetterHelp. And I can speak from personal experience and tell you that if you or someone you love is struggling with depression, they're dealing with anxiety. Talking to somebody about it can make a huge difference, and that's what BetterHelp does. Within 48 hours of signing on with BetterHelp, they'll match you with a professional therapist. These therapists have a broad range of expertise that might not be available where you live. This is a worldwide service that's easy to use, allows you to get matched with a therapist that you can communicate with, you can send messages, get thoughtful responses, you can even schedule weekly video or phone sessions. You can talk through anything that you need and BetterHelp is committed to facilitating 
therapeutic matches that can give you all of the benefits of traditional offline therapy. They want you to start living a happier life today. And I believe that talk therapy is one of the ways that you can do that. Visit their website, www.betterhelp.com forward slash reviews to hear and read some of their testimonials. Again, you're going to want to visit BetterHelp, Better H-E-L-P, and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. And we have a special offer for Rotoviz listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash Rotoviz. Can't recommend how important and how helpful talk therapy can be. So please check it out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So last year in this draft, Kyle Pitts went at the 106 and then has a very good rookie season, but doesn't score a lot of touchdowns and is in a situation where the Atlanta Falcons are, are rebuilding. Right. And so there's less of a certainty about the QB. And one of the things with, with chase too, that I just, you know, you keep looking at is that the difference between him and AJ Brown, in addition to everything you mentioned is just the better situation with the quarterbacks. I, I look at the way that these wide receivers are set up right now and because of the age gap between Jefferson and Chase and then Hill, Cup, and Adams, there's basically no way that those veteran receivers can close the gap and be in that top tier. And then you look at not only the performance gap, because Justin Jefferson is coming off of an extraordinary three-year sequence as well, just extraordinary. Because of where they are and then with chase the quarterback play with justin jefferson it's a little bit more up in the air but you look at the target volume situation for brown and metcalf and some of the rest of those guys it's again it's almost impossible to see them getting up into that tier 
And then we fall down into the range, kind of like you mentioned, with Debo Samuel and T. Higgins and a very different class of player. And so I, I think that that top end with the receivers is interesting and that top end with the tight ends is interesting. And so it seems in some ways surprising that Pitts could go 106. Now 106 is about as early as we ever saw him. I mean, he was drafted more often in this, you know, 112 to 212 kind of range, but had a good season, definitely solidifies himself in there. I wouldn't be against someone taking him over a Jonathan Taylor. And so that part of it is interesting as well. Jonathan Taylor, the clear 101 right now in redraft. You and I have talked about some of the reasons why McCaffrey or Cup or Kelsey, you know, probably should be also considered there. But I think everyone is going to do the same thing that you and I were kind of talking about, which is that if you're going to get Taylor, maybe you have to take him at the 101. That locks him in there. It's a different story in Dynasty, right? Where we know that he's young, that he probably has multiple more good seasons. We know that he's going to gap the position. And yet those elements that we've been talking about that make him a questionable 101 in redraft are also just very problematic in Dynasty because if you're going to gap by you know, two or three points as compared to gapping by seven or eight points, then the size of that peak comes into play as well and so uh, i think that pitts could go up earlier the other than interesting names and uh, trying to figure out how it's going to fill out here and who the next wave of players are do you think that harris and williams are the next two names we know that harris is going up there in redraft and he's coming off of this rookie season where he had this amazing workload but he's also a little bit older he wasn't very explosive it's not a position that you really want to emphasize in Superflex Dynasty. It's almost the, the least important position, even though we know that traditionally people have emphasized it because of the difficulty of getting high-end starters. I think those guys are going to go up in that range. It would be difficult to pick them. And one of the reasons, too, that it can be helpful to go back and look at some of these drafts to see how people hold or don't hold their value. McCaffrey was the 108. Taylor was the 111. Cook was the 204. Barkley was the 207, Harris 208, Gibson 210, Kamara 211. And at the end of two rounds, seven running backs had been picked, only five wide receivers. We've talked about some of the ways that managers are going to react to the 2022 season. I have to think that they're going to react by taking more wide receivers early in Dynasty. I think it's an interesting discussion of whether Harris and Javante Williams will go there at all in terms of whether they should i mean i could see it with javante i can't see it with harris the reason being everything you just said about running back being a position you don't want to emphasize necessarily in a super flex tight end premium dynasty startup but if you are going to i think what you have to be willing to buy into is some sense of talent which is very subjective at running back, but talent-based longevity. I'm not saying that Najee Harris isn't that, but I, I think based on his profile coming in, based on what we knew about the lack of explosive plays in college, even with really well-blocked runs, a really high rate of, you know, of runs that were um, whatever it was, five-plus yards downfield before first contact and things like that, 
even despite all of that, he was not able to, to break off a lot of explosive plays. And then you look at his first season and everything that there is to love about it for redraft is mostly volume based in the way that the Steelers used him so heavily, uh, basically gave him a, a, every running back route that was there. There were very few uh, routes that went to anyone on the Steelers out of the backfield other than Harris. And, and they also gave him plenty of rushing work and all of those things. But the like running back workloads are the scariest thing to bank on, even in redraft. And so in dynasty, it's certainly not something that I want to be putting a ton of draft capital into this idea that he's going to at least hold his value because the workload is going to be so big that he's going to score so many points that, you know, he's still going to be young and, and all these things. And, and by the way, he's not particularly young. He's uh, one of the older rookies last year, as far as high profile rookies that we've seen. Javante was 21 last year. He was incredibly young. Uh, I think there's an argument that he has a lot more to, to offer from a talent perspective that he could just be a very, very good running back in the NFL for a long time in a way that makes him easier to project three or four years down the road. Whereas Harris has some risk in there still where it, if he's not able to offer a ton he only has a you know a, a three or four year run of, of strong fantasy relevance, or maybe not even. I mean, I again I don't want to be unfair to him and, and throw out like the Trent Richardson comp or whatever, but like that's a good example of a guy who did go in the first round of the reality draft, didn't you know, was good as a rookie in in fantasy. I had him that year. He was a very productive player, but it was all workload-based, and he never really showed efficiency at, at the NFL level. That's not entirely fair uh, to, to compare Harris to, like I said, because he's done a little bit more. But that's the type of risk that I'm not going to take at running back in Dynasty. This is sort of the simple and direct way of putting it. So I could, I could see the argument for Javante on more of a talent basis. And I could see that argument for Taylor, although I completely agree with your point that if he's only gapping the field by two points, even if he is the RB1 for a couple of seasons, but he's only doing it by a couple of points as opposed to like six or seven, like we would have talked about McCaffrey as having that potential, you know, two years ago as having that potential to be a three or four year run of him being so much better than everyone else at the running back position that he can just make your dynasty team that good for that, that stretch of time. Taylor might not have that same ceiling, something we've discussed a lot. And if he doesn't purely from a, you know, receiving profile perspective, really not, nothing wrong with Taylor as the player, but if he doesn't, what you're banking on more is this solid, very good, borderline elite production over multiple years because you are betting on talent as well. And I think we know that, that Taylor is, as a talent, an incredibly good talent. But anyway, I agree with all those points that you said. I still think Taylor is worth uh, investing in at, at a certain point because the talent level is that high. And he is somebody that, you know, you can look at it like an Adrian Peterson type where probably going to get a lot of years of high-end production if maybe not elite difference making Christian McCaffrey type fantasy scoring but in that mold it, you know I, I see Javante Williams more in that mold than Harris the reality is probably just not going to running back if I'm there but I do think it's really tough at that point do you look at Dak Prescott do you look at Cooper Cup who's you know Looks a lot like Stefan Diggs, if you want a sort of a negative comp in the sense that he's a, an older guy having this peak season where everything came together later on into his career. 
I, I mean, I, I think he's going to carry it over and have this long run, but I thought it was going to happen with Diggs too. So, you know, how, how many more years of high-end production do you get out of Cup? Is that worth betting on there? Do you go to another young guy and make the upside bets on like the T Higgins or the CD Lamb or somebody like that? Obviously, AJ Brown and DK Metcalf were even higher than them. I don't know. I, I would probably wind up taking Brown in, around that range. Uh, but I, I think I would also start to look at the next quarterbacks, whether it's Dak or, you know, I might at 112 be considering Justin Fields if I couldn't trade back. I mean, I think the, the key point I would make is that I would be looking to, to move to move back if I could in a startup in the, in, in this spot. Yeah, that's an ex- exactly what I was thinking as well, that you want to move back in this range and the depth that we saw, you know, throughout this draft that we did here. I mean, Cooper cup goes in round six, which seems crazy. You know, after the fact you and I selected Debo Samuel in round eight. And so on the one hand, we feel you know very proud of ourselves. On the other hand, it's like you picked some people before Debo Samuel <laughs> where you should have picked Debo first, right? So that element of it is interesting. But again, I think argues for moving back and having a humility-based approach to these types of drafts. Now, you mentioned the QBs. And the other interesting thing there is just kind of how do players hold their value? And the number one thing that I always try and do when I'm building my dynasty teams, when I'm doing these trades, whether they're trades in the startup or trades during the offseason as you and I are now doing with this league as we enter year two, is trying to think through all the different scenarios and how a player is going to react to a big-time season, a sort of middle-of-the-road season, or a disastrous season. And there are different varieties of disastrous season. Obviously, you can get hurt or you can perform poorly and how you think those different elements will play out. One of the things that you find when you go through those scenarios is that that element of it, of thinking of the value a year from now, even though dynasty owners put a premium on age, they still don't have a very efficient market in terms of how the ADP is going to react to these three different scenarios. And that's one of the things that you and I talk about a lot. It's a part of this idea of perpetual reloading. It's part of what our buddy Patrick Corrine talks about a lot with Dynasty. And obviously Pat is very, very good in you know all of fantasy, but especially in the Dynasty sphere. And so when we're looking at this and we're looking at some of these QBs, it was shocking how bad Trevor Lawrence was. It was shocking how bad the Jaguars were. But because of the rushing value of Trey Lance and Justin Fields, even though Fields didn't run as much as we wanted, it was already starting to get to be a question, I think, last August of whether Fields and Lance, even though they seem to have lower floors, which hasn't exactly turned out to be the case, that maybe they were better picks than Trevor Lawrence just right from the get-go before factoring in anything else. Now, those two guys also didn't perform particularly well lance doesn't win the job fields you know gets his quarterback uh, i mean his head coach fired and obviously uh, i think that then you had a role in that it you may have been the person to deliver the news to Matt don't Nagy, say if that I remember correctly don't don't say that fields got him fired pat Nagy got himself fired <laughs> right right we got to look at the causation from that direction so it's not like these guys went out and performed but when i'm looking again at my QB tiers for this coming season, right? I have this tier four with Aaron Rodgers, Jalen Hurts, and Dak Prescott, but I'm not sure I feel that comfortable taking any of those guys early in Superflex. 
paying those prices. The fifth tier has Lance, Stafford, Wilson, and Fields. And again, especially from a dynasty perspective, Lance and Fields are the names that really jump out there to me. So we're looking at a situation where these guys went 205 and 212 and performed poorly and now I think could go earlier this coming season than they went last season. That's something that you want to have a good handle on when you're making some of these rookie picks. It's one of the ways in which I think that this current class might end up being a little bit undervalued because a lot of those guys bring some uh, more rush value than I think people are looking at right now. The problem is that they're even lesser prospects. And so if they go out there and have a season similar to Lance and Fields, then their teams are probably look like, like we need to draft somebody again, <laughs> just like the Arizona Cardinals did when they picked Murray. But is that kind of how you're seeing these quarterbacks now too? That you'd be looking at those guys in this range? Yeah, I think that's like really well said. I mean, another name that we can throw out here is Zach Wilson, who went in the fourth of the startup this year. Uh, excuse me, last year in, in our startup, he went in the fourth round. And it's probably lost value, even though he played the whole year. And, and he wasn't good, but he wasn't, I mean, he got hurt as well. But yeah, he wasn't good, but he wasn't horrible, I don't think. But I sort of that starting point of what they're viewed as by the market is uh, a point you just made toward toward the tail end of that commentary. And I think is very a, str- a very strong point in terms of Wilson has almost certainly lost some value because he kind of already was playing from uh, a negative spot in terms of how he was viewed and was going to need to come out and have a very good year to really even maintain value or gain value. It certainly could have gained value if he had a really good year, but there's, there's sometimes a lot of room for more upside in those types of scenarios. Like you can go right back to Justin Herbert from the year before who we're locking into the first half of the first round now and, and was, you know, probably a fourth round startup pick in, in these drafts going back to his rookie season. But there's a little bit more value insulation with a poor rookie season when the market already views the player favorably, as in Trey Lance and Justin Fields with their rushing upside and those things. And so definitely an important consideration. I think that's really well said. I was thinking of something similar as you talked about us taking Debo in the eighth behind some guys that even we took that we maybe should have been, you know, taking Debo higher. I do think we took Debo well above ADP. It was one of those things where we were trying to get the best possible value, but we took my guy, LaVisca Chenault two rounds earlier than Debo Samuel, which is just laughable as we sit here now. And want to talk about some of the mistakes we made. That's an easy one to point to. And you talked about certainty on players and those things. I'm, I'm, not 100% sure, but in, in thinking back, I'm pretty confident that Vizca was a guy that I was pushing for at that spot more than you. I think you probably were comfortable continuing to move back and trying to get an even better value on him. I, I've Again, we go back to this concept of value insulation. Debo Samuel, to me, really interesting to look at him in the eighth round as a guy who had been very productive over his first two years, and we had a really good idea that he was good. He was a guy who had uh, a targets per, or excuse me, a yards per route run of over two, two years in a row. Um, you mentioned Packer in a minute ago. He had a great stat last year on Debo that that's a really um, exclusive group that has done that in their first two seasons at the NFL level, a target, uh, excuse me, a yards per out run of 2.0 or higher. I know AJ Brown was on that list. AJ Brown being AJ Brown, he's been at about 2.5, three, all three years now. He's just an absolute star, but 
I, I remember the list. He had went all the way back to Julio and AJ Green's young years, and and both of those guys were on the list. And basically, every name in between that range up until you know this past year was just the superstars of of those various eras. The guys that were able to do it to be that good that early, their first two seasons, all wound up being very very good wide receivers over the long term. But Debo, we get him in the eighth round in the offseason last year, in part just because of some injuries early in his career, some other uncertainty about how he's going to be used and, and those types of things. I think that's an interesting class of player. It's sort of similar to our first pick in this draft. We took DJ Moore in the fourth round. I've been very high on his targets per out run and all the things he's shown, as well as going back to his rookie, uh, his prospect profile and his college seasons. Felt like even going into last year, even though he hadn't really had a huge year, and even now he hasn't had a huge year, that he had shown us enough that we felt really good from a long view perspective that this guy was good at football as soon as the circumstances line up that he could have a monster year. Maybe that never comes for him, but I do think he's an interesting uh, player in that same sort of mold as Debo where it feels like the small miss, big hit type pick that we're always talking about in redraft. You can kind of make that play in dynasty a little bit on these guys that are still young enough but haven't quite had the breakout, maybe going into year three, year four. It's not an, an, an incredibly great group of players to be buying into because it is a little harder for those guys. I mean, I know you've done a lot of research on this and, and you'll be able to comment on it more, but um, in terms of when the breakouts come, if they haven't come yet by a certain age, the, the hit rate starts to fall, certainly. But for guys like Moore and Debo, the main point I was trying to drive home was that they had shown us good underlying metrics and i i felt very good about both of them from a talent perspective if things were to go right where it felt like there was big hit potential much like stefan Diggs the year before when he went to buffalo and we did see the big hit we did see the huge gain even later in his career uh in dynasty he still gained a ton of value cooper cup is another great example of a guy who had some great underlying metrics winds up having a huge later career value gain in dynasty which is pretty rare but Diggs Cup, before their big seasons, two more examples of guys that I think also were small miss players, much like Moore, who Moore, I keep bringing up, was a guy that did not have a great 2021. 20, uh, but I think his value was insulated. We can still probably view him very similarly to where we took him last offseason. So viewing that sort of whole class of players where we saw good underlying metrics, but we haven't seen the elite production yet is... Uh, they're going to be a little bit discounted in dynasty startups as the young rookies and second year players are, are pushed up. And I think is an interesting class to be targeting into the, like the, the middle rounds as that sort of small miss big hit type player, as opposed to the, the LaVisca Chenault, where we definitely want to be in on that type of player as well, but certainly has the potential for, to be a big miss. And one of the things that we were able to do by moving down was to get some exposure to a variety of types of guys. Right. You mentioned LaVisca. We also have Elijah Moore and Rondell Moore on this team. So we were able to get some of those rookies that we wanted to have. We also have mentioned recently on the show that we just traded Juju, Odell Beckham, and Michael Thomas. And so when we were in a situation where Beckham and Thomas continued to slide because of that combination of age and uncertainty, but yet you can still grab someone who, again, is like you mentioned, is going to be a small miss. You, know, you talk about Cup and Diggs. Both of those guys really launched when they got a QB change. The funny thing about DJ Moore, and you talk about, again, this idea of small miss, big hit, and Moore's peripherals, again, were so good that 
he has more or less maintained or even increased his value despite having a bad season. And those are the types of players that you're trying to go for. If the Panthers were ever able to get together, and I'm not optimistic about this at all. I think that 2022 actually looks pretty bad again in terms of the different scenarios you hear them bandying about for how they might address their QB. But that type of launch from him certainly isn't out of the question. And so we're looking for a lot of those types of guys. One of the things, too, that I think is interesting is it is possible to move in and out of running backs and QBs in these leagues in a way that sometimes I think the initial draft understates, right? One of the reasons why people want the QBs is that after the draft in super flex formats, the QBs are difficult to get running backs. We know that people are always loath to trade them kind of at any given moment because the guys who have value at that moment, people don't move because you can't replace them and then you can't win your league. And the ultimate goal is to win here, right? But at the same time, one of the things that we did, we drafted both Austin Eckler and Aaron Rodgers in round five. We moved Eckler in a package to get Saquon Barkley. And then we moved Barkley and Rodgers in a package to get Kyler Murray, who was the overall 103. And then most recently, we moved those receivers again to get Saquon back. So as I was kind of realizing that and Saquon's travels throughout this league, it's funny that he does keep coming back to us. He's someone that we do keep wanting to take some shots on because of that profile and Barkley I think in many ways is the the type of running back who is going to have some elements of small miss big hit simply because of you know his peripherals or his profile right this receiving element the size athleticism element the draft slot that he originally got even though that's not very relevant now and this amazing rookie season so people can kind of anchor to that and see it now maybe in this scenario you and i are the people who are anchoring to that but because of that we know that his value until he goes out there and has a full healthy from whatever perspective that is now a healthy season for him now may not be the same as what a healthy season was several years ago and plays like ezekiel elliott just played i mean he has to have that in order to destroy his value or uh, i guess another completely injured season in an older for a year we're looking at these types of players who can help us gap and get that edge and then players who are going to maintain value. And it was interesting, Ben, just uh, to throw this out there, Will Fuller, I was seeing today, and I didn't know if you had seen this. He's obviously someone that we pick in all leagues, and that was not helpful at all this past year, but saying that his finger was actually shattered. And so I'm wondering if maybe the Dolphins did him a little bit of a disservice by making it sound like he didn't just you know, want to come back and play. Obviously, they can keep the injury info to themselves, but that got me a little bit more excited again. I mean, having a, a shattered finger is is bad luck, and if you can come back from it, then, I mean, Will Fuller is still one of these guys who nobody can cover him, right? If he ends up on a team like the Kansas City Chiefs or, or the Los Angeles Rams, something like that, I mean, he's going to score a lot of points. Yeah, I mean, again, good player, good underlying peripherals, it's going to be a, a sliding scale. Will Fuller is going to be much cheaper than the other dudes that I was just mentioning, but room for him to gain a lot of value from where he's going to go based on what you just said. I mean, if he's able to come back and have a really good year and be healthy and it really was just a shattered finger and all of that, even at an advanced age, I mean, he could be, a, you know, right back to where we were taking him this past offseason. He certainly lost value after 2021, but he could be right back into that range. And people are like, oh, yeah, Will Fuller's good. 
there's a lot of types of players. I mean, I'm just looking at this board now. I mean, Tyler Boyd went, uh, we took Tyler Boyd the round prior. He's another guy. I'm trying to think of good advice to get for 2022. He's another guy that I think is, I mean, he's not going to gain a ton of value, but going into 2022, I think he's a, one of the best values in all formats right now because he's been very good. We know that he's good at football and yet because of his team situation and everything and the, and the really good receivers ahead of him, people are going to discount him. You know, if something were to happen to either Chase or Higgins, Boyd would have an opportunity to potentially step up and have a really big 2022 as like a, a key piece, you know, one B piece or, or, you know, just number two instead of number three. But even if that doesn't happen, this team might throw more and, and Tyler Boyd might still have a very good year. So that's a guy that as he gets a little older is getting just sort of ignored. And especially with the, the team that he's on with them having so much other talent, I think he makes a lot of sense. Jacoby Myers is a guy I'm talking about everywhere that his underlying peripherals, his target spread run and everything looks so good that it, he's not, has not been as efficient as Adam Thielen, but reminds me a lot of Adam Thielen as a, a UDFA who it took a couple of years for him to re-earn the trust of the team because he didn't have the draft capital to just be offered. You know, he had a good rookie year in terms of some of the small playing time he got. He had to re-earn it in year two. This last year is really the first year that he had an opportunity to play all season. He re-earned that role, had 126 targets or something like that. Didn't score a lot of touchdowns, wasn't super efficient on a run-heavy team. I think we have enough evidence on that guy that he can draw targets. He's good. He's a free agent now. We don't know if he'll be back with the Patriots. If he is, you you hope that they throw a little bit more in year two with Mac Jones. But if he's not, he could potentially be a guy who moves on to another team and has this big second team jump where the team situation makes things a lot better for him because obviously New England has not been a, a, a boon for passing game production. So just players like that where it's like, okay, everything I'm seeing underneath the hood looks like this guy can play. He can earn targets. Uh, he can be pretty efficient as well with those earned targets. What, whatever his profile is, every every player has a slightly different profile. But I mean, I, I don't know. I just Myers maybe has some big miss potential if he changes teams and doesn't really play or whatever. But for most of these guys, it's like their value isn't going to probably go down unless they just like have a major injury or something. But they have all this underlying skill where if they're able to find themselves in a good position again and perform, everyone's going to buy right back in. And Myers is one of those guys that I'm often really looking at for year five because we do see this second group. And you mentioned the different sorts of trajectories that we get from players who are drafted into different situations. When do they break out? When do they need to break out before you have to kind of let them go and move on to the next one? But Adam Thielen, Jacoby Myers, a lot of these guys who really have to work to stay in the league. Those are the guys that you see break out in year four, year five, often, especially as you mentioned on a different team. And I'm interested to see with Myers because he's a restricted free agent and you would assume that uh, given their needs and given the likely lack of expense in bringing them him back, that he will be a member of the Patriots and their wide receiver one again next year. I think this is kind of exciting. We kind of have a new era for the Patriots with Josh McDaniels moving on to the Raiders. The Patriots have been a little bit conservative over the last several years, although they had to be because they didn't have the quarterback play that they've had in the past. And they had that elite defense or at least the elite defense until they ran into that Bills juggernaut in the playoffs. 
next year should be a big jump year from Mac Jones. I think this offense could be very exciting. And you mentioned Ramondre Stevenson to me as someone sort of before the show started that you're looking at in a number of leagues and could emerge as, I mean, it's going to be tough there with Damian Harris in place, but if Stevenson pushes him as the early down runner and then emerges as a receiver, which looks very possible. And this team scores more points than both of these guys. Interesting at the running back position. Ben, we have so much more we want to get to over the coming weeks and months. We've got the best ball lens to examine a lot of these players through. We have some trades that we're working on for dynasty. We have new startups that will be going on. We have the rookie drafts and the second year drafts in some of these leagues just mentioning again that one of the things we really do like about the rotoviz triflex league is that veterans are back in with the rookies in terms of these drafts and because you have to cut down there are some interesting veteran players who move into the mix as well i like that in rookie drafts to have kind of those questions in round two and to have round two be very relevant makes the rookie draft process a lot more fun and so and then obviously super flex with that as well makes round two very relevant so we're looking at more rounds that are exciting that's what you want in fantasy you want to be uh, doing as many drafts and as drafts that are as deep with fun players as you possibly can that'll wrap us up for today as always i'm sean siegel with me is ben gretchen you can follow at yards per gretch make sure you subscribe to stealing signals he's got some cool new content out for you let him know if you're interested in omna fantasy if you're looking to subscribe to rotoviz you can get 10 off by using the coupon code rv radio 2022 at checkout that is 2022 now i think about it, i may have said 2021 on some of our recent shows but we are into the new year obviously there the 2022 rookie guide is out and we've really enjoyed that product we'll have volume two and volume three following the combine and following the nfl draft so you have more additions to look forward to with that as well if you can subscribe to the podcast ben and i will get you those shows as soon as they come out when you subscribe to the feed and if you can leave us a rating and review we always appreciate that you guys have been fantastic if you don't want to uh, leave us a new one just refresh the old one that helps us out with the algorithm and lets us chat with more people so until we talk to you again we'll see you guys it's happening daily we're being conned by the institutions we used to trust the mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com